Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Jeremy Griefe, the Irish writer who pens poetry and prose in both Irish and English. English. She's written six critically acclaimed books of poetry and she's won a range of awards, including a Seamus Heaney Fellowship and the Rooney Prize for Irish Literature. She's also been commissioned to complete work for a range of institutions such as Poetry Ireland, the Embassy of Ireland in Britain and the Department of Foreign Affairs. Born in Galway, she moved to Clare as a child and learned Irish through the Gale School system and then went on to study anatomy, psychology and literature in Cork, where she now lives. Her latest book is Pro, It's called A Ghost in the Throat and it's about an 18th century poet haunting the life of a contemporary young mother. Now, Dieran, we'll chat about your your new book shortly, but I'm intrigued by what you studied in college, anatomy, psychology and literature. I think that's um, a nice way of saying that it took a long time for me to find my path really briefly. You know, like I suppose a lot of people are that way, I, I guess. So anyway, I mean, I was 17 when I went to college. Um, my first year in college, I made a bit of a hames, but it was a bit of a disaster. And so then it took me a while to find a course that really appealed to me. But it's funny, as time goes on, I'm very glad of that failure and of that change in past. Like, I think in some ways, although I would never in a million years have thought at the time, it was kind of the making of me, the fact of seeing... Um, how sometimes life isn't as neat as you might hope for it to be and that it's okay to take a step back, reevaluate where you're at and, and try and make another attempt at it. And I think that was a really important lesson, actually, but it was a really hard lesson at the time. So it took me a few efforts to find where I wanted to go in college. Because it's funny, it obviously has influenced your work because the themes you write about are very much, you know, birth, death, life and all of that. So it really, it has stood to you. I think so. Well, I, I definitely hope so. I mean, the very first course I did when I when I started in university was pre-med because I wanted to be a dentist. And that initial year involves the dissection of a human body. Um, and that definitely was not a wasted experience on me. You know, you bring an impressionable 17 year old into a room and you say, here's here's the body of someone who donated what well, their own remains for the sake of your education. And I mean, even though I didn't end up continuing on the path towards medicine or dentistry, um, that had such a profound effect on me. And it's, it's, it's something that can be very much felt in my writing, I think. Um, like there's a constant sense of the human body um, and all the minuscule processes that underline our ordinary days. Um, so that was one of the most important experiences of my whole life, I would say. Even though on paper it would probably look like a, a complete failure, it was such a huge moment in my life. Um, and, you know, it even makes its way into this book. And were you writing when you were in college? I never wrote in college. It's funny. Um, yeah, my path to writing has been kind of um, strange, I suppose. I, 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 I wasn't, I always kind of hesitate a bit really when I'm about to tell the story because I'm so aware of how strange it sounds. But I mean, like, I'll preface it by saying 
this is just what happened to me, you know, and, and I can only stand over it like that. Um, but I, I didn't start writing until I was in my mid 20s. And it was when um, I'd already I was on maternity leave with my first son. And um, we had gotten the news as a family that my grandfather was passing away and I'd been very close with him. I was very lucky to have a close relationship with him. He's he was just a gentleman, you know, I think it wasn't unusual in our family. He was one of these people who managed to cultivate a, a really deep relationship with everyone who came in contact with and he was great crack. And so um, I was really upset. I was I made my way to Dublin and my husband stayed at home to work. Um, when I got there, we got the call in the middle of the night to come to the to the hospital and um, I um, it was suggested that I, I shouldn't probably go because it wouldn't be appropriate to have the baby there, which I completely understood at the time and understand still, you know, I mean, it's such a sensitive time, but because I didn't have anyone to mind the baby, then I, I stayed at home um, at my aunt's house in Dublin. And as I was putting the baby to sleep, I, I just remember really just being so upset, you know, and just feeling almost like torn, you know, between the past and the present, I suppose, or the past and the future, you know, there I was cradling my son to sleep. My grandfather was on his deathbed. And um, bizarrely, um, a poem came to me in Irish and in rhyme. And that was such a strange experience for me, someone who had never, who had never written anything in her life, that I presumed it was a poem that we had learned in school. And that had just imprinted itself somewhere in my memory. And I think like we're all familiar with that experience. I think when you're going through something, particularly a time of grief or trauma, that sometimes those poems are literally that has spoken to us in the past. It does return like that. So and um, the more I lay there and the more these lines kept insisting upon themselves, um, the stranger I felt and the more I realized that it wasn't something I'd heard before. And when the baby fell asleep, I jumped up, found pen and paper, which wasn't easy in my aunt's house <laughs> because I didn't know where to find anything like that. And I just wrote it down with what felt like it felt like it was on a whim. I'll just write this down. But the moment I kind of put pen to paper, that poem was written and something else came after it, another poem. And then the next day I went and wrote something else, never knowing kind of where that path would would bring me, like never understanding that that daily habit that began that night in those circumstances would carry me, you know, here to talk to you and with this new book coming out. Um, and, and I know I'm almost kind of apologetic about that story of how I came to writing because it is so strange. And yet, like, it, it is my truth. It really is what happened to me. And I think life can be weird sometimes and it's easy sometimes just to push that away and, and you know, to answer your question in a much more um, straightforward way, which would be to say, oh, I started writing when I was on maternity leave with my eldest son and leave it at that. <laughs> but part of me thinks that it's important to acknowledge and to honour the, the mysteriousness that goes on behind the surface level of our lives, you know, and for better or worse, that's what made me a writer. And to put a context on it, because obviously it was a turning point for you and obviously that emotion and trauma that you were feeling led to this. But interesting that the first poem that came to you was in Irish. It was, I suppose. Yeah, that was interesting. Like, um, in some ways, it, it made a lot of sense because when my eldest son was 
born, I was a primary school teacher and um, I was teaching in the Gwail School, which is also the system of education I went through myself. Um, so Irish was my language at work and I was speaking Irish at home to him. So Irish, although I don't speak Irish to my husband, at that point, Irish was my ordinary everyday language. So it wasn't that unusual that it would come to me in Irish because it was so familiar to me. Um, yeah. And and more bizarrely still, the, that first poem was all about in detail. Um, Ilan Clara, Clare Island, a place that I've never been and still have <laughs> never been. So at what point then did you think you could get published or go about getting published? Did you have a body of work first and then said, what can I do with this? I suppose poetry is unusual in a way, like when we when we look at um, the development of a writer in this way, because uh, I often think of the of poems as as really intricate pieces of furniture that you spend ages, you know, with wood turning and, and like making sure that it's exactly as you want it to be, that it fits perfectly. What you end up with is this um, small embellished little item that you can then hand to someone like, look, do you like do you like how this is working? Do you, does this appeal to you? Um, and that process often, but not always, is much quicker than someone who's writing a novel, say, you know. So once I started to write those poems, Asquilga, um, I started fairly soon after that to send them to literary journals and started to develop a relationship with different editors who would give feedback and um and I started to be invited to give readings from my work and um, public readings, which was really important part of the process as well, because there was a sense of engagement and a sense of recognition of an audience. The audience for Irish language poetry is small, Brita, but it is brilliant. It is so supportive. And for someone doing what I was doing, which I didn't realize at the time, which was embarking on a long, I hope, a long life as a writer, it was really important because there was very fast sense of development of, you know, me trying to grow and acknowledging that it was a craft that I had to work at and put in my hours at and getting that feedback from editors who really cared, you know, really cared and uh, support from other writers and that kind of thing. And, and, and I feel very fortunate with that path because I think it can be quite hard, uh, you know, on novelists in their, in their, in their early days, that they're working on something so enormous and that it takes years. And then they're presenting it to an editor, to the slush pile or what have you. And it's just a very different path. So, yeah, I was lucky. It was like I was working with small pieces of Lego, you know, in some ways. It wasn't a huge cathedral I was planning to build, like the enormous architecture. It was just little bits of Lego and uh, making my way from the one to the next to the next. And um, that felt doable in my situation. And I feel really lucky that that was my path. When then were you able to acknowledge to yourself, I'm a poet? Um, I think that actually came very quickly. And it's funny, um, part of it is because of the way that it came to me, that it just felt like, you know, this is something I've been given as a gift. And why would I push it away? You know, this is this is all I have of my grandfather. Why would I give it away? Um, Why would I not own the fact that this is an important part of my life now? So part of it was that. And I think part of it is um, in in contemporary poetry, well, I suppose more so in the generation before mine, a lot of poets would have shunned using the, the term poet in reference to themselves because they felt 
and and like this is this is a rough approximation it's not exact quote but it's close enough um i'm not the person who should say that i'm a poet that's up to my audience and to others to acknowledge the fact that my work is poetry whereas for me it felt very much more like you know, I've spent all day doing plumbing. I'm a plumber. I've spent all day tipping away at poems. I'm a poet. It, it didn't feel la-di-da in any way to me. Like, who was I to know that people would come along and be like, oh, wow, you're definitely a poet. No, I was just writing poems. And as far as I was concerned, that made me a poet. And it was as simple as that. And as you mentioned there earlier, the first poetry you wrote was in was in Irish. And then one of your most recent books was Lies, which is actually a bilingual edition. So these are some of your poems originally in Irish and then you translated them. And the book is, is beautiful. It's, you know, on one page you have the Irish version on the on the page beside it. You have the English translation. I'm just intrigued around sort of how you approach that or why you decided to translate. Um, I, I yeah, the the reason I came to translation in the first place, Brita, was um, that I was fortunate enough to be invited to give a lot of public readings for my work. And and um, as time went on, that would often be with English language poets, like sharing a stage with them or with prose writers. And it felt really important to me to open as many doors and windows into the language through my work as I could. And um, some people politically would very strong feel very strongly that it's important to stand up and just read something in Irish and I can understand that and I have a certain amount of sympathy for that but the kind of work that I was writing I really wanted to be open to everyone in the room so it was really important to me to translate it into another language so that everyone felt welcome in the poems that I was trying to communicate so um I started trying to translate my own poems to English and that was extremely hard oh my god it was excruciating at the start because everything just felt a bit wonky. It was like, to go back to the example of um, thinking of the poems as, as, as little cabinets or as little um, pieces of carpentry, it was like I was starting to work with totally different tools and a totally different wood, and I really didn't know what I was doing. And I would often just throw my hammer aside and temper, just like, I can't do this, and like be crying and everything because I couldn't figure out how to translate them to English. But um, I think one of uh, my personality traits is just that I won't quit. And I just kept at it like a fool until (laughs) I started trying to uh, see a poem coming out of the English that corresponded in some way with the Irish version. And it felt like a poem to me, like it had that little bit of spark about it. And it wasn't just a broken thing and um, that took an awful long time it really did it was so frustrating and so strange because English is my first language that was part of why I was so frustrated because I was like it should be easier surely so that took a long time um, and in terms of your question about how that book came about, my editor at Daedalus Press, who had already published a book of my English poems, um, approached me and said, you know, a lot of people are really interested in the Irish poems. Would you consider doing a dual language edition? And I leapt at the chance because that's something I've always wanted to tell you the truth. And um, I really enjoyed revisiting the Irish poems that I'd written, some, some of them like nearly a decade before. And trying to um, trying to compose them again in English. It wasn't even really like translating them. It was trying to compose them again in English. 
It was nearly like creating a new poem, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like, Rita. It was like creating a new poem. And sometimes I included kind of a mischievous nod to the reader. Um, Like, for example, there's one poem where there's a time specified in digits in the Irish language version. And I made that time one minute later, I think, in the English language version. So that even someone who was looking at both poems, because they're on facing pages, and whose eye is traveling back and forth, even if they didn't speak Irish at all, would be able to see, hang on a second, these digits are different here. What What is this person doing? And and would start to question the translation process. Because translation is so slippery. And really, I'm quite mischievous sometimes as a writer, and I, ha- I like to have a bit of fun with that. Um, so yeah, there's a, all kinds of little tricks and trapdoors between the Irish language poems and the English language versions in Lies. And I had great fun with that process. So as we said earlier on, your latest book, it's prose. It's called A Ghost in the Throat. Um, it's been acclaimed by, by loads of people. But first of all, why the move from poetry to prose? I think, or I suspect that part of the move from poetry to prose was um, something as simple as the fact that as my children were getting older, I had larger windows of time and um, the writing impulse that was poking at me started to demand different things of me, started to ask different questions of me, questions that I couldn't answer to myself within the shape of a poem, things that had things that demanded a, a greater sprawl. Um, and I mean, there was a point where when when I was extremely focused on poetry that I had four children under six. And so that was very challenging. And poetry fitted really beautifully into the little moments that I would have to myself, which were rare, very rare, but poetry fitted. And as they started to get a little older, and for example, once our three older boys were in school and our youngest started to go to play school, Suddenly I had these three hours in the morning and I was still at the beginning, like, you know, the poems are still really important and I'm still writing poems all the time. But something else started to insist upon itself. And um, I was quite daunted by that because it felt very like, it felt very close to how difficult I found things when I started to translate my own poems from Irish to English. I felt such a great sense of resistance and a feeling of like, I can't, do this I don't know how to do this this is a whole new set of skills again um and I was quite frightened by that but um decided to see where it would take me and I've been really interested and have learned a lot in the process of starting to try and write prose but Rita between us like a lot of the paragraph in a ghost in the throat are poetry in disguise as prose if you read it out loud you can sometimes hear cadence of poetry behind it so I'm not sure I always did such a good job of hiding the fact that I am a poet but I tried (laughs) (laughs) and how long did it take you to write then um the book um it's it's difficult to say because of the fact that because of the fact that um my writing routine is so kind of fractured and because I was working on so many other projects in tandem with it and with poetry and whatnot um but the beginning of this book, I feel, happened with the birth of my youngest child. And so I feel myself, beginnings of this book, 
I tried very closely to her birth and she just turned five. So that's kind of how I fit the timeline of the writing of the book. It feels very close to that, you know, so roughly five years, but not that was not me working exclusively on the book for those five years. I had other pots on the boys. <laughs> and it's it, it's a very personal story as well, because you know, it, it, you're in there essentially and you're you're talking about somebody in the 18th century who was pregnant as well. So did it feel it was just a story inside you you wanted to get out? Yeah, I suppose it did. It felt it felt very, very urgent. Um, it felt very much like it was insisting on me telling it. And even the fact that, you know, I would I would a huge part of the process of writing this book was feeling woken by it in the middle of the night. Um, and would keep my mobile next to the bed and, and like be emailing things to myself at two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And it's, I mean, that that's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy, you know, to, to try and function as a normal human being and be constantly woken up in the middle of the night, not by a baby for once, but by a book. It, like it, I, I had to write it. I, as time went on, I mean, I had no choice. It, it, it was so strongly insisting upon itself, you know. What's it about? A Ghost in the Throat is, it's a story of obsession, I think. It's funny how you learn so much about your own book at different points as you go through it. I've been learning about this book. And, and the learning has been changing and deepening since it first began to insist upon itself. And funnily enough, now that I can hold it in my hand, I'm still learning what it's about. And so when I say like that, it's a book about obsession. That's something that really is still occurring to me, you know, because it was written in a fever. You know, it was really like when I was waking up in the middle of the night, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just these things needed to be written down. So Ghost in the Throat is, it's about obsession. It's about trying to figure out what will happen if you stretch out your arm and reach out your hand to someone who lived an awful long time before you and in what ways they will reach back and whether they will or whether they can reach out their hand to hold yours and what you can learn from that process. That's what I feel it's about now. But I mean, ask me in six months and <laughs> maybe that will have changed again. But that's really the heartbeat of the book as I feel it at the moment. And it does feel alive, this book. Like it still really feels alive to me in a strange in a strange way. Like it is what it is. And um, it definitely has a really strong thumping heartbeat going on in it. At one point you thought the book wouldn't get published, um, that nobody would want it for whatever reason, but you still kept writing it just to get it out there. Yeah, I, I think now looking back on that, the book was, it was very clear to me as the book was being written that it was its own thing and that it was very strange and that no one was going to put manners on it, <laughs> let alone me. It, it needed to be as it was, if you know what I mean. Now, that's not to say that I didn't do a ton of drafting and redrafting and whatnot on it. But as it was being written, it, you know, it struck me several times, who who's going to publish this? You know, like it really is very strange in terms of form. Um, the way I thought of it or the way I was noticing it developing for a long time, it felt like a book of echoes because each chapter was timing back and forth almost between my life and the life of Eileen Dovney Connell, the poet that I was so interested in. Um, 
And so, so much of it was that sense of just trusting the book, that it would become itself in the way it needed to be and that it would find a way towards its readers someday. But yeah, I definitely had moments where I doubted. I mean, I wish I could say that I never doubted myself or doubted this book, but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be the truth, really. You know, I did doubt it. I doubted who's going to want this, you know, Um like a lot of people, I suppose I turned to others um, to look at things for me and why not? I'm really lucky to have such a positive and supportive group of writers around me. Um, and there were several people that I really trusted that were like, I think you might be going down a very strange path here and, you know, maybe reconsider and write something that would be more easy or palatable or I'm not really sure what, but, you know, uh, there were times where I felt like I should try that and then there was just kept insisting on itself and so as time went on I really just kind of had to say look it is what it is and I just have to own that and um, the whole time as I was writing it I was thinking you know Tramp Press would be a really good home for this book but I know I know because I've had friends who have sent manuscripts their way I know how extremely difficult it is to get to place a book with Tramp Press, I mean, they only publish, like, I mean, they publish such a small number of books every year, I think three and sometimes four, but usually three. And it felt too much to hope that they would take it on. And yet I just kept hoping, you know, with like with, with the weird faith of someone who keeps buying a lottery ticket, I think, where it's like, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, maybe or someday and I really hoped that they would um, and I'm still pinching myself that they actually did decide to take a chance in this book and that it spoke so powerfully to them because what I couldn't believe when I sent it and I, sl- I sent it into their sludge pile um, and what I couldn't believe when they called me to Dublin to have a meeting with them was how passionately they spoke about the book like they really got it and they got why it was so strange, but they thought that it was strange in a good way. <laughs> and um, that was that was an amazing moment for me to feel the sense that someone else was looking at the story that I felt alone with for so long and that felt so powerful to me um, and that they could see that they could see that it was important too, and that they could feel it too, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's like I, I will never in my life I don't think forget that moment the sense of Lisa and Sarah Tramp Press you know the fact that they believed in it because it's an act of belief I think so much of reading isn't that? and publishing in particular you know Absolutely and for you to get that I suppose sense of, of just you know credibility and, and that they loved it as much as, as you loved writing it. And in terms of, of what you're at at the moment, what's obviously the this latest book is, is on the shelves at the moment, but what are you working on currently? Um, so I am working on another piece of prose, which is um, kind of showing me the way to itself still. Um, so it's early days on that. And there's a, a new book of poems in English which I'm working on as well, which will be coming out in springtime, which is called To Star the Dark. Um, so there's a lot of rewriting for me with that because like writing, a ghost in the throat, um, the process of writing is really embodied for me. Like a, a lot of it is an oral act or an act of listening as well because I read everything over and over and over to myself um, aloud. 
Um, and so a lot of the process of preparing a book of poems like that, and these are poems that I've been writing since 2014. So I mean, like, it's, you know, I've been going back over and back over them, sharpening them and, and making sure that they're, that they're doing what I hope that they'll do um, for a long time. So a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment is oral. A lot of it is saying the same old poems to myself over and over again. But I like that, you know, I like that work. I like it a lot. But I miss audiences at the same time. I miss doing public readings. And usually if you had asked me this question, say this time last year, I would definitely have been saying, oh, and I'm looking forward to X, Y, Z events, you know, um, because I do a lot of public work. And um, I miss that sense of connection of being able to look my audience in the eye, which is so important. I think particularly when you write the kind of books that have a small readership, but that the readership they find feel strongly about them. It's really great to be able to look your readers in the eye and particularly to thank them. And, and I feel that sense of distance now that we don't have public events as much. And I miss that. So I wish I could say, you know, and I'll be doing X, Y, Z events, but I don't know. Well, you can't look the Inside Books uh, listeners in the eye, but you can talk to them. So if you have a couple of paragraphs there that you want to read to us before you, we let you go, that would be great. I do. I do. I, what I decided to do for the Inside Books uh, listeners is to read a little piece from the Queen itself and to read my translation of the Queen too. So um, I'm just going to read the opening two verses um, because I wanted to give you a flavour of Eileen Dovney Connell's own voice. So that's what you'll hear in Irish and then you'll hear my translation in English. So it's kind of like treating you to a flavour of that collision between the two people across centuries. And thanks so much for having me, Frida. I'm delighted that I got to do this. Okay. Mohra Gadanganto Lord Avakahu Ikyan Ti and Varaga Ugmahul Araguit Ugmahri Tatnavguit Elias Om Harad Lat Vad Ovalela O my beloved, steadfast and true. The day I first saw you by the market's thatched roof. How my eye took a shine to you. How my heart light in you. I fled my companions with you to soar far from home with you. Is dumsen nor of ashrach, hersh par loose al yalagom, rumina om rakagom, bok ervaragom, marta lagagom, kole gluv lachangom, gudiach and tederha. In yield, and never did I regret it, for you set a parlour gleaming for me, bedchambers brightened for me, an oven warming for me, plump loaves rising for me, meat twisting on spits for me, beef butchered for me, and duck down slumbers for me until midday milking or beyond if I'd want. Well, Dirani Griffa, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find A Ghost in the Throat online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books I-R-E. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms and don't forget to leave us a rating or a view. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. 
Inside Books is a unique media production. 